Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Trish, can you hear that untimely, unpleasant noise in the background? Grilling, banging, yeah. shouting, yeah. radios. Yes. Yeah, I've been, they're I've not been just drilling that. the workmen next door mm. with all the scaffolding. They're actually singing really loudly <laughs> along to the radio. Really loudly. Um, and I wish it was nice singing. It's not, it's just not in tune. <laughs> and they start very early and they yes. go on all oh, day. Next door, it's next door drive me mad. And it drives the kids mad as well because yeah. they they're competing for attention with another noise. So it's chaos in our house. Yeah. You've got a house full of men as well, oh, haven't you? Oh, my goodness. Well, I've got the man that I need to be in the house, not in the house, because Neil's disappeared when the lovely, lovely man from Sky has come to sort out all our Wi-Fi and whatnot. And he keeps trying to talk to me about it. <laughs> of course, I have no clue. No clue. No interest. I keep saying, please phone Neil. Please phone Neil. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. poor man. Talk but to the hand. It's Talk quite to distracting hand. because I can't get my printer to work now. And, you know, we're back to technology again. You and I, always a disaster. Has he been into your bedroom? Does he have to go into your bedroom? No, he had to go into Esme's bedroom, which I had, oh, to, I had to prepare him for. <laughs> Obviously, the teenager's bedroom. <laughs> what did you say to him? You know, war zones. Said, Imagine yes. the worst, worst, or yes. after a festival when everyone's yes. gone. Imagine yes. that, double it. And then you'll be prepared for going into a teenage girl's bedroom. Exactly. Brace yourself. Hold your breath. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. And we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Now, as we can just about barely, very loosely count ourselves as podcasters, I'm going to wish you happy International Podcasting Day, Lorraine. What are we, Trish? We're quadcasters. Quadcasters. <laughs> the other night. As you called it when we were chatting over, maybe it's the martini talking. Yes, I had the other a martini. We I had a little hot pastas. A little martini malapropism, didn't <laughs> I? Oh dear. Anyway, what I'm talking about, you know, there's an international day for pretty much everything and anything, like International Bacon Day, second of September, <laughs> National No Housework Day. That it's been National No Housework Life for me. <laughs> Every day is no house. It's a good though. one. And of course, not forgetting International Day of the Cat, 8th of August. Very special day for Margot, of course. Margot's special day. Every day is a special <laughs> day for Margot. You wait till I come around and she meet her is again. A luxury cat. Well, today. International Day of Lorraine, Margot, yeah. I will say. How are you celebrating <laughs> yes. that, you little fluffy feline? So, as we're recording this week's episode of Postcards from Midlife, we're celebrating the power of podcasts. And in a moment of almost professionalism, can I say that I think they are pretty powerful, aren't they? Because they entertain, they inform, and they create communities for listeners too, which I think is really good. 
Yes, I mean, our community is really, really lovely, actually. They've managed to seek out our little podcast and form a kind of tribe around us. So on these international days, among all the silly days and the the daft days, there are some really important um, days and months in terms of raising awareness for health and social issues. And October, which is where we are now, is World Menopause Month and World Menopause Day is on October the 18th. And we've been gearing up for this with the MP Carolyn Harris to support her menopause bill, which is due to have a second reading in Parliament on the 29th of October. Yes, we uh, popped in to see Carolyn a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, in Parliament? We went to the belly of the beast, didn't we, Trish? And I wore my bright red suit, my bright red yes. suit deliberately. <laughs> you did. Uh, we saw Theresa May wandering through the foyer in a white trouser suit, no less. But anyway, enough. Carolyn was a guest on the podcast a few weeks ago. And not only does she have a fascinating life story, she's doing incredible work as the chair of the all party parliamentary group. And her bill is aiming to get HRT to be free for women in England to bring it into line with Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Yeah. And as a community and personally, we are behind Carolyn with this because because there are many women we know may not seek help for their menopause or perimenopause symptoms because they can't afford to pay for the prescription charges for hormone replacement therapy, which they could be on for years, possibly a lifetime. So it's quite a significant investment and a lot of women are really underserved. So it's important that we all back Carolyn's bill. Yes, and if you want to ensure your MP gets behind the bill, there is still time to send a letter via post or email. And we actually have a template letter that we put on the Facebook group, so you can find it on there. Or if you want to email us, hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com, you can find it there. But also, you can obviously also find it if you search Carolyn Harris MP. So members of the group have been sharing responses they've had from their MPs. And while on the whole, they've been really positive, we were shocked, but possibly not surprised, by the response Rebecca got from her MP, John Redwood, and his senior caseworker replied to it. And I, I'm wondering what you make of this, Lorraine. So this, this response says, this is a private member's bill, meaning that it has been introduced by an individual MP. As it is not a government bill, it unfortunately has no chance of becoming law and instead is likely being used by Ms. Harris to help persuade the government to take further action on those experiencing severe menopausal-related conditions, to which Rebecca says, I am so angry at this. Yes, I, mean, you, I, I mean, what do you make of this? Go, Lorraine, go. Well, <laughs> reining it in. I think the response to that as any MP is I will support the women over 40 who may be experiencing these symptoms in my constituency by being there to vote that they can get this to help them further mm-hmm. in their lifestyle. But John Redwood, honestly, we, you know, I think John Redwood is the one that made three failed leadership bids, isn't he? Mm-hmm. His own Tory parties, the Eurosceptic, um, who is very anti-same-sex marriage as well. So I think we probably know, but the, the actual phrase severe menopausal related conditions is the thing I have issue with there because that's such a factually inaccurate mm. dismissal of women mm. and everything they're going through. All menopausal symptoms and perimenopausal symptoms can be considered severe. They are changing women's lives. So that's almost saying you've got to be in such a terrible, terrible place that we have to raise this in Parliament. But until you are, we're not really, I'm not really invested as an MP in helping you. And also implying that hardly any women, we know it's 13 million women in this country. Mm. If your MP can't feel for you in those circumstances yeah. or help you, I, I find that extraordinary. We have forwarded yeah. on to uh, relevant I, people. Yes, we have. And I do feel that like we vote for our MPs. Our MPs are there to serve us as their constituents, not just 
toe the party line on whatever whatever happens so we are the constituents we voted for yeah. you listen to us please but yes Empathy free response that mm. one. anyway i'm going to move further on <laughs> tell you what else is coming up on this week's episode so we're going to kick off with our usual jibber jabber we're going to have a chat about something we've been chatting about and this week because we can bring you light and dark uh, <laughs> in the show, serious and lighthearted. We're going to bring you the return of the dinner party because we've had COVID and we've not been able to get together. And now we are, and it's autumn. And we really miss them, I think, getting together with our friends mm-hmm. and eating during lockdown. So Trish and I, Trish maybe more so than I, will be sharing Ooh. thoughts, tips, recipes, kitchen supper shenanigans from our personal repertoires. Mm, and our guest this week is the very brilliant beauty journalist and founder of The Tweakments, and she is Alice Hart-Davis. Alice has spent 20 years bravely putting her face and body through pretty much every yes. single cosmetic treatment there is out there. So we'll be asking her about which ones work, really worth it, and what is going to make a difference to us in midlife. Indeed we will. And then we will move on to Nostalgia Noodle, which is my favourite bit of the show, as always. Welcome to the part of the show that explores areas you had no idea you wanted to explore up until now. We're here today to jibber-jabber, as we call it, about food, well, food and friends to be more specific. Now, young Trish, it's come to my attention Mm -hmm. that a new foodie trend has taken over 2021. Given that we've been starved of entertaining our friends at home, Mm -hmm. um, lovely get-togethers, it seems the dinner party is back big time this autumn. This is a time when we do like cosy indoor entertaining, I feel. But it's not just any old dinner party shenanigans because there is, wait for it, drum roll, (laughs) the return of the cheese and meat platter or the new grazing plate as it is known. Oh, How do you feel about a grazing plate, Trish? I don't know. I, I couldn't be mixing the meat and the cheese, you see, because obviously being a vegetarian, and then you've got the vegans to consider now because there's always a, a vegan, isn't there? But I feel like the, the meat platter, I'm slightly traumatised because we had a lovely au pair many years ago, a Czech girl called Lucy, who her parting gift to us was she made a meat bouquet. Oh, my God. <laughs> a thing of wonder it was like a massive big flower bouquet made out of rolled up meats apparently it's a thing in the czech republic did you know there are no words for your rolled up meat no there's no influencers putting that on instagram with their their new platter stuff that they're doing no well listen this is what you've got to look at i mean i've been lost in a world of cheese and meat platters this week um Mm. because obviously i have absolutely no culinary skills so for me it's the the dream isn't it there are whole social media accounts and youtube Mm -hmm. channels devoted to putting these hugely elaborate platters together and i'm pretty much hooked on cheese now that i'm totally vegetarian and we are now we are now in the season that is called fall couturie (laughs) oh and it's a calcium and cold meat a go-go, quite frankly. And would you know calcium is quite good for you in midlife because of your bones and things. So I've been That's looking at on Instagram at something at an account called That Cheese Platter, where they have tutorials on how to kind of decorate your cheese platter and what mm. to put in and all the ingredients. There's a, another one called Lady and Larder, which is very good, and a, an account called Food 52, which films it all coming together in time, slow stop motion thing. <laughs> just yeah. hysterical and if you really want to know how to do it Natasha's Kitchen on YouTube is the best um 
But you have to include, Trish, three ounces of cheese per person, which I don't think is enough <laughs> cheese. Do you? Because you're going to eat all the cheese. Yeah. When yeah. is this cheese and meat platter served? Is it a starter? Does no, it count as a starter? No, is that you your just, main course? Yes, and they can oh, look okay. magnificent. It's a bit like that ASMR thingy trend you talked about, the whispering, just watching oh. it all being put together is really, oh, I mean, it's very therapeutic. I really yes, like it. Just it's cheese. the kind of thing looking at cheese. my daughters would spend hours doing, gently placing all the stuff oh, against yes. each other. That so I'm going ASMR. to be doing this with yes. all my dinner parties. Grazing plates and one pops okay. are now my mantra for dinner parties. You just either put it all on a lovely decorated plate or you just put it all in a pot and shove it in the oven. So yeah. What do you do at dinner well, parties? I think I can it, never remember yours, Trish, because I'm always so drunk <laughs> when I leave. I have no idea what has been served. I well, don't remember any of it the next no, day. No, I know. I've decided that it's kind of I'm I'm not so bothered about the standard of these days as my friends will probably testify because obviously we saw a lot of tablescaping in lockdown didn't we, didn't we? you yeah. can look anywhere without like a tablescaping account which is actually quite gorgeous and lovely like looking that. at all these yeah. place settings and everything and mine I've always been a white tablecloth with white napkins kind of quite chic and classic but actually these days it's just so boring it's so boring so I have been trying to inspire myself and work myself up to, to buying some new bits and bobs. And I've been um, looking at a website called Maison Margot. Margot like the wine, not the cat, which is fantastic. They have the, just the most beautiful glasses placed in the And you can rent it. So if you were having a so really what? fabulous, you can rent all the, these lovely bits and pieces. And, um, yes, you could impress your friends that way and make them think that you've got more than just a 25-year-old white tablecloth. I like a charity <laughs> shop approach to tablescaping. Okay, though. that's good. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so what you do is you you base it white, obviously, with the tablecloth yes. because that gives it some air of authority and implies that I would be able to produce some food that people will eat because it looks mm. professional. And then we we – I don't like stuff matching, as you know, it makes me a bit mm. itchy. So we get um, – glasses and stuff from our charity shops they're quite nice our charity shops mm. and then we just sort of fill it with different shapes things and bits of tweets oh. and stuff from the garden but I have found this amazing um candles account on Instagram Ooh, okay. it's a shop a retail shop and the percentage of all the sales go to women's charities in the UK and I found it via yeah. Jennifer Saunders, who I don't know, but I did meet once. Okay. She came to the <laughs> L Style Awards. Yeah, she gave me a hug. I said I loved her. Anyway, this account is called Beatrice's Bedroom um, with a underlying dash between it. But um, they are so beautiful, the candles. They're like little constitutes, and they're very cheap. They're like £10 for massive okay. ones like that, and they that look really good. lovely. So yeah. if you have all that plain glass and these really colourful candles, mm. that's about as far as I go with tablescaping. Yeah, um, but there are some really good ones to look at. There's... Um, Matilda Goad, who has lovely, yes. brightly coloured napkins and cutlery. And there's a nice um, Dutch uh, website and Instagram account called Anna and Nina, which is just very pretty. And of course, there's loads of loads of these influencers. Laura, Laura Jackson, Jackson from very Post. good. Yeah. Um, there's the uh, sort of party events, wondrous woman, Fiona Leahy. She's worth having a look at as well, because she does really set. fabulous things. Yeah, the set. The set. Okay, we could have a look at that, couldn't we? And be in inspired but what about what actually happens at your dinner parties because obviously oh she's she's miming throwing back some alcohol is it always a bit messy 
Yeah, it all starts really nicely, Trish. Yeah. And then I feel like I have to be really entertaining because the food probably won't be up to scratch. <laughs> so I throw everything at being a, a host. I have a yes. good playlist. Um, the Anna Jones book is brilliant. If you're a not great cook mm. and you can put everything in one place, I've been using that. And also there is something called the green roasting tin, which is just magnificent curries mexican food all sorts of things by rukmin i i y e if you fancy doing that and they do, she does a big sticky rice you just shove mm. in there and you can put it on mm-hmm. the table but then what happens is it's all okay until um the amount of cheese and then <laughs> just the drinking I'm and then we slightly all have a list i'm worried about your delicate stomach that we all know about oh, with yeah. all this cheese and wine i mean <laughs> what is going on there there could well, be all sorts of problems at a dinner party it seems to work fine oh, it does work fine does it yeah. so we've got a rule actually which is a bit boring and slightly antisocial that we we can only have like for sit down dinner party six guests because in our kitchen everything's quite hard surfaces we've got tiled floors we've got glass roofs we've got you know marble counter and the shouting men so loud with the guffawing and the shouting and you, you know when it gets like that and I just like literally I can't nobody can hear anything. <laughs> it's all ricocheting off these hard surfaces so it's it's a bit sad really because we, we have to keep it to eight of us maximum but uh yeah I don't know how many I what's the most you've ever had 14 Okay, yeah, I've done 14 at Christmas, but that's generally more slightly mild-mannered family members. But we have waifs and strays Christmas. Oh, yes. So um, we have everybody that can't get home to families Mm. or the, you know, parents of, friends of, teenagers who can't Mm -hmm. get back to places and things like that. So we have, but but I'll just have any number of people and just make them all squeeze Round squeeze it, round all of it's just chaos to hide yes. the lack of culinary skill because I, I don't think anyone ever like comes that. to my house to eat anything nice quite yeah frankly. but they have what, fun the fun, fun, fun what's the worst dinner party you've ever had then well it's probably the one where I it was many years ago like you know like when you're in your late 20s and you start doing dinner Richard parties Jones blue soup well something it wasn't the food that was the problem it was me because while I was making the food I decided to start lashing into the wine by the time the guests got through the starter I was in bed asleep (laughs) (laughs) so it's now another one of my dinner party rules no drinking until the guests get there oh my god I still remember that I still have slight traumatic feedback thankfully they were very funny and very understanding and they did take a picture of me they came up to the bedroom and all sat around (laughs) around me fast asleep and did a picture is that we had one um of the same time zone when one of our first ever dinner parties moving in when we just moved in a flat together and we had uh, there were six of us and it was the first couples dinner party mm. and a friend of mine brought what can only be called politely a very unreliable boyfriend who we all said <laughs> this is not going to last and she insisted it would and yes. um, that he was perfectly happy to come to a couple's dinner party mm-hmm. <laughs> he's mid-20s and I could tell as soon as he arrived he was not perfectly happy to be a couple's dinner party anyway in the middle of the main course he said mm. I need to get up to go and get some cigarettes for afterwards and uh, that was the last we saw of him <laughs> So it was either it was one of two things. Yes. The relationship or your cooking. What are you putting it down to? Well, you know how I cook now. Can you imagine how terrible <laughs> it would have been then? Hold up. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This week's special guest is Alice Hart Davis, one of the most respected beauty journalists and authors in the UK who has braved vampire facials, Botox lasers and needles galore in her quest over the past two decades to ensure that women across the country can feel informed and safe in finding the right beauty regime for them. The 56-year-old mother of three has written for almost every magazine and newspaper, from Vogue to the Daily Telegraph, and her content and e-commerce business, The Tweakments Guide, includes warts and all videos and advice on every manner of gadget and cosmetic intervention, as well as a directory of trusted practitioners. She joins us today to answer questions that regularly feature on the Facebook group and questions we, Lorraine and I, might have ourselves about our own beauty and ageing process. So welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Alice. Thank you so much for asking me on. Right. Well, I think we should start by thanking you personally for trying all of these treatments and offering your insights on your website, all the content that you do on there, because it's amazing. Because other than word of mouth, it can be really hard to find out about the pros and cons of these cosmetic interventions, as well as how safe they are. And women, I just think probably a bit scared, confused and overwhelmed by everything out there. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty of that. But do you think you have any idea of how many treatments you may have had over the years as a beach journalist? That's a good question. When I wrote my treatments book a couple of years ago, there are about 60 treatments detailed in there, 60 different ones. Mm-hmm. And I seemed to be the person who had tried nearly all of them out. I mean, the thing is, you get some things which a lot of people do regularly, like injectable toxins, that's things like Botox or fillers. Those are the kind of bread and butter of every aesthetic Mm -hmm. clinic around so I mean I must be over a hundred I mean because there's things like that that you would do a couple of times a year Mm -hmm. if they're a bit less some people will do toxin three or four times a year then there's things that I should be doing more of like skin peels or laser or intense pulse light treatments all to kind of take down pigmentation keep the skin tone Mm -hmm. even and then what I do quite a lot of, because I'm curious and vain and getting older, and they make great stories as well, is the rather more aggressive things yes. like ultrasound, skin tightening, or stem cell assisted fat transfer, or that kind of thing. So it is probably an awful lot. I'm, I'm not actually having needles stuck in my face every week, but mm-hmm. I know that's what it seems like to a lot mm-hmm. of people. Cosmetic interventions are non-surgical procedures, aren't they? Exactly. These are all non-surgical procedures. It, it really bothers me that a lot of people, when they say this celeb had 15 surgeries in one day, they'll be muddling up non-surgical procedures with advanced facials and possibly with some actual surgery. I think surgery is something that involves scalpels and anaesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's it's much more serious. But tweakments, I know that's a kind of a bit colloquially name for them, but they are non-surgical 
cosmetic medical procedures and really important to remember that they are medical procedures because for some people they get taken a bit casually but yeah what I'm talking about there is non-surgical stuff. Where is the line then for you would you do a facelift? You've had surgery on your eyelids haven't you? The line I've had two blepharoplasties upper eyelid surgeries so one about 10 years ago one just this spring and that was also correcting a, a drooping eyelid at the same time. Mm. I've had breast augmentation again a long time ago. I wouldn't draw the line at a facelift. I, I think I quite probably need one already. Or, you know, it depends who you go and ask. If I go see in some of my surgeon friends, I'll say, oh, yes, you know, we could do this. We could do that. Why don't we have a go at a mini lift here? You need something mm. to do a whole big one in one go. So the line is movable. I mean, I always think that's the kind of line of what's okay, you know, starting right at the bottom end with skincare. Most people think skincare is worth bothering with. Nobody has a problem with that. Makeup, ditto. You know, there's a few people who object to makeup. Hair colouring next along the line. We all used to lie about, oh no, my hair's naturally got these blonde streaks, you know, 30 years ago. Then there's dental work, dental whitening, cosmetic work, which is now miles more acceptable than it was 20 years ago. Then you've got the kind of advanced facials that have maybe a bit of laser or something like that on them. Then you get the things that involve needles, which is where it stops for most people. They say, oh, I'd never do that. But they're happy to have, you know, one of those pigment busting lasers, but needles is too much. Then surgery is kind of way off the end of that line for most people because of the cost and the downtime and the, the connotations. And mm-hmm. actually... It's it's a difficult point because with things like hooded eyes, most people, eye surgeons tell me, could benefit from an upper eye lift by the time they get to 50 or 60 because that skin just does stretch. Uh, And yet most people won't want to go there. So they want to try endless non-surgical procedures and they'll be asking me, what can I do for hooded eyelids? You can spend a lot of time and money doing these non-surgical things, but none of them will give you as quick, mm. clean or definite results as a surgical procedure. But you know, that line is in a different place for everybody. Yeah. Have you got a very high pain threshold then? I always read your things and I think, oh my God, this woman must have hugely high pain thresholds. <laughs> the thing is, they're not that painful, which sounds mad. And you'll say that's just you talking because you know, the all these clinicians, they have a raft of pain controlling measures at their disposal because it's not in their interest to make it an ordeal for patients to go through. Yeah, it's like for basic things, you have numbing cream. If it's anything more invasive, there's local anaesthetic can be injected, you know, for the surgical stuff, you know, sedation going up to general anaesthesia. I mean, most people will prefer to avoid general anaesthesia if if, if possible. So you talked about the fact of this sort of scale of what's deemed acceptable to what women aren't comfortable talking about or feeling that, um, you know, a sense of embarrassment or fear that they may be judged about certain treatments that they're having. And I think there's a worry as well about the whole slippery slope, because we've probably all seen people with trout pouts or the, the sort of slightly hamster cheeks. I mean, you don't have any of that. You look perfectly like a gorgeous just glowing, lovely 50-something-year-old. So you have obviously managed your treatment programmes very well. But, yes, slippery slope, I mean, you must see that in people. Totally. It can be a slippery slope because when you go and have these procedures done and they look good and they make you feel you look 
better and you feel better about yourself, you think, ooh, what next? What else could I try? Mm -hmm. And maybe you start obsessing a bit too much about the detail. You you, you smooth out some brown lines and then you think, oh, the skin texture, what's this bit down here I never noticed before? And things like the tendency for taking selfies or (laughs) boom, particularly the last year, you know, I do do one-on-one consults with people who want a kind of pre-steer on this kind of thing. The number of people who say, I I just can't stand seeing myself on Zoom anymore. It can be a slippery slope, but, you know, if you have a good practitioner, which is what I always bang on about, they will not suggest inappropriate treatment. If you have friends around you to keep a reality check, mm-hmm. uh, who will be honest with you, you've got to have people who will be honest. If you're in a friendship group where everybody is doing this, you know, then that that is terrible. You see these groups of women used to in coffee bars, having lunch and whatever. You look around and think, wow, are you all related? I think you all go to the same practice. <laughs> yes. Like when we wear the same clothes trip. Yes. <laughs> By accident. We turn up in a little weird uniform that we've not realised we're both wearing the same We don't turn up with the same lips and cheeks, do we? No. The problem is the slant of the face or the eyebrow. And I mean, but all these things that people see and think are weird and which is what scares people, Mm. that can be really bad work. And the kind of practitioners I'm keen on, they would be appalled if their work was that obvious or spotable because they treat endless people um, who look so good they can get away with lying about it. I mean, that's another massive Mm -hmm. problem. People are not honest about what they've had done and they just want people to think they look that way. I mean, particularly celebs, uh, you know, they will say they have gone vegan or used a new face cream or whatever it is. And they simply don't admit the amount of help they're getting with their faces on an ongoing basis. And we all sort of accept that they have wardrobe stylists, makeup artists, help with their hair, their exercise, their diet. Mm-hmm. Why do we presume that they don't actually get that kind of help on a mm-hmm. level with their faces, you know? But you're in your 50s now and you, I mean, you do look very glowing. And, it, you know, I, I would say I wouldn't look at you having not known anything about you and say, oh, she's had so much done, which is often what we fairly judgmentally say about women. What has worked for you specifically? And is it about what's worked for you and everything else you're doing in your life as well? Because you are a fitness enthusiast as well. Thank you for your kind words. I mean, I've been lucky with this. I got into it at an age where my face had started to need help. I suppose I was late 30s. I was pretty cautious about it at first because it all seemed so new and scary as it, as it still does to anyone who hasn't engaged with it. So I tried a bit of toxin, a bit of filler here and there, you know, just little bits. But where I was really lucky was that I kind of got into this at the top end. You know, I was seeing the absolute leading experts in this field, which is much smaller than than it was now. And I was constantly interviewing them, learning from them, finding out what was new and getting them to work on me as and when appropriate. So that helped, I guess, in my 40s. I mean, I also have been writing about cosmetics and skincare all this time. So there the help came from learning about what the really effective ingredients in skincare are you know not just the marketing hype but the stuff that can actually make a proper difference insisting on wearing sunscreen the whole time you know that's the best thing any of us can do for our skin right from a very early age that all these things add up and then with greater knowledge of the field I now crash about in it trying interesting procedures as and where they seem appropriate but 
you know, it's, it's all a case of do as I say, not as I do, because I would always advise people to go and find one practitioner who they like, who they feel comfortable with to create a kind of age management journey for their face, which sounds like a stupid face. But what I mean is, you know, it's not a question of have a shed load of stuff done and then just leave it. You know, you, you want somebody who will say, well, we could soften the lines a bit, see if you like that. We could replace any lost volume, see if you like that. We could clear pigmentation, see how that makes you feel. And, and then we could do those injectable moisture treatments that sort of just pump the skin up and make it a bit glowier so you just look a bit fresher and just keep tweaking on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. You've got somebody who knows your face and knows what you like. Because some people want to look like quite extreme versions of themselves. Others just want to look that tiny bit fresher. Whereas I obviously hop about going to different people the whole time because I want to see how they work. I want to see what they do. I want to see what this new procedure that nobody else is offering does. And I know that looks quite reckless, but because I do know the area, I'm not going to go to somebody who's doing a procedure that's brand new, that isn't properly accredited. Things can and do go wrong. So you should always be cautious about what you do. Yeah. What is your attitude to ageing and your, your relationship with your looks? I mean, we probably first start becoming really conscious about how we look in our teens, about how we look, and obviously the relationship with how we feel about ourselves changes and grows as we get older. So attitudes on ageing now, and how have you been in the past about your image? I've never been very confident about how I look. I'm much more confident about how I look now. My attitude to aging is bring it on. I mean, you know, we're all lucky to be here. And I'm particularly amazed still to be here and doing this as in working in the beauty and aesthetics industry at my advanced age. I'm, I'm 58. Because when I started writing about beauty and stuff, I was coming up to 40. I definitely had the impression from friends on glossy magazines that it wasn't a job for older women, the beauty editor, wherever, wasn't going to last much longer than 40. Mm. But just a few weeks ago, I was joining a panel talking about age and beauty at British Beauty Week, talking with the fabulous Eve Cameron. And here we still are, you know, doing this Mm -hmm. stuff, talking about beauty, we're finding a relevant audience and nobody's telling us to go home, which is fantastic. And that is very confidence boosting. Also, simply having to face up to a camera on Instagram or whatever the whole time, it's excruciating at first, but gradually you get over it and you just talk because I find people are interested in what I say. And I try and show myself not just looking Mm-hmm. Super glam, like I'll look after a photo shoot that's been, you know, professional hair and makeup and lighting mm-hmm. and post-production and, you know, all the tricks. I try also to do it just me in the bathroom talking with a bare face the light or walking along in normal daylight in the park, which, you know, brings out all the wrinkles mm-hmm. and shadows. It's me talking about what I mind about, what I think people should know, rather than always trying to hold up some image, which is just too exhausting. Mm. Well, you're kind of a beauty investigative journalist in this space, Russ, when you started seriously doing this late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. So in midlife, most of our hormones go haywire. So that is a massive of change and the skin can be really affected by that and actually your confidence can be affected because you look in the mirror and there's someone completely different looking at back at you and you think you're 18 you can't understand why this woman covered in wrinkles is looking back at you but as Trish and I will always say we don't want to look younger we just want to feel mm-hmm. better it's all interconnected what was your midlife journey did you have a perimenopausal changes were, were, was that um, affected to you how did that play into the journalism you've done around this well, 
Again, I've been really lucky and through my work because I was sent off to try one of these treatments at a forward-looking central London clinic that measured your biological age versus your chronological age. Mm -hmm. So how old you actually are versus how old your responses, your hearing, your everything else. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, they did uh, a hormone blood test, full hormone blood test, which showed that my hormones were all perfectly normal because I was about 44, 45 or something. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the piece and carried on as as you do. But then a couple of years later, I started feeling a bit fuzzy around the edges is how I usually Mm -hmm. describe it. You know, you are kind of gaining weight a bit more easily and in the middle and my brain wasn't feeling so sharp. It's that that brain fog that Mm -hmm. we all kind of know once we get to midlife. And then I eventually remembered this clinic and went back to them and said, could you run that? blood hormone profile again and they said yeah you know it's just starting to dip you know nothing massive but let's prop you up here and there with different not even the main hormones of estrogen progesterone you don't need those at that stage it was DHEA the mother hormone which is a precursor to things like estrogen and testosterone and then pregnenolone which is a precursor to DHEA those just even out the the slide and and I've had it managed all that time so I've been really lucky so whenever I have found myself getting hot sweats or whatever I'll know that something has slipped further and I need further management but mm-hmm. I guess the past 4 or 5 years it's all been fairly stable and and fine and and that's the last thing I would stop the hormone supplementation because when you lose estrogen from your skin uh, then you just lose an enormous amount of your skin's potential to make collagen, which is what keeps it yeah. firm. Once the collagen production just drops off a off a cliff, yeah, great, and that affects your skin's ability to retain moisture and everything. So the skin becomes thinner and all the rest of it. Uh, a lot of us end up getting spots around that stage because you know your hormones are going haywire, and and that's what throws up the imbalances that lead to spots. I've been lucky with that, but I know how very real these these things are. And getting estrogen back into the skin is the best thing you can do for strengthening it going forward. You've mentioned collagen. It's a big one for a lot of us, a lot of women on our Facebook group, lots of conversations about it because it seems like there's been an explosion in products over the last few years. And we really want to know whether it works or not. So can we replace collagen loss as we age? I mean, okay, skincare, skincare can do a lot to boost collagen in the skin if you have something with retinol or another kind of retinoid in it, you know, maybe prescription tretinoin, that will stimulate your skin to produce more collagen. If you are on hormone supplementation, that will get the estrogen back in your skin, that will enable your skin to produce more collagen. You know, tweakments are all mostly about trying to stimulate the skin into producing more collagen and elastin and all those things. So whether you are doing microneedling, stabbing holes in the skin, or whether you're using a laser to use heat damage to the skin or ultrasound to damage it below the level of the skin, they're all aiming at damaging the collagen because then you get a wound healing response in the body and that builds stronger, clearer, fresher skin from the inside up. But then there's also the collagen supplement route as well. A lot of people will say collagen supplements don't work because you could just eat protein that would be broken down to amino acids in your stomach. Those are the building blocks of collagen. That's what your body needs. But 
protein you eat gets broken down into long chain amino acids, they're not so easily absorbed as the short chain amino acids you'll get from a product that contains hydrolyzed collagen. Now, hydrolyzed collagen is where that big collagen molecule has been smushed up into tiny fragments. And so if you have a certain amount of hydrolyzed collagen in a daily dose, it will enable your body to produce more of its own collagen. And it's not quite as simple as just there being more collagen sluicing around in the bloodstream being picked up where it's needed. There seems to be some mechanism at work by which the body can detect there's an awful lot of collagen sloshing around. And then it thinks, my God, there must have been an injury. Let's create more collagen to help support that. So those appear to be the two mechanisms. And I say appear because the research is kind of ongoing. And of course, there aren't big studies on this because no pharma company is going to put a lot into all these, these small independent brands of do these things work, do they not? But some of the brands do have very small studies admittedly paid for by the brands to show they work. And so those are the kind of brands I prefer. And I, I talk about this quite a lot on my website. So one of my personal bugbears, Lorraine, I think you suffered this too. And it's all because we were doing far too much sunbathing, weren't we, in our, our teens, because we didn't know. And it's, of course, pigmentation. So what do you recommend for that? Pigmentation, yeah, it hits all of us, doesn't it, across the ages as well. I mean, decent skincare, by which I mean a good quality vitamin C serum can be very helpful for evening out pigmentation or go to a practitioner or even preferably a dermatologist who can get you some prescription products that will help tackle that pigmentation. A clinic could, you know, a non-surgical treatments kind of clinic, they all do advanced skincare as well. And they might get you onto a light course of peels or depending on your skin tone, they might tackle that pigmentation with intense pulse light treatments, that's IPL or laser. Those treatments are more successful on lighter skin tones as soon as you've got medium to darker skin tones because there's not so much contrast between the base skin color and the color of the pigmentation. You're, you're better off managing it with kind of advanced skincare under yeah. the careful direction of somebody who knows what they're doing with it because what you really don't want is to get too savage a treatment that creates a kind of rebound hyperpigmentation or even hypopigmentation where you have too little. So good skincare, supervised regime, appropriate treatments where mm-hmm. it suits. And what about the dark shadows under your eyes? That's something we get asked about the kind of... Yeah, they're yeah. dire, aren't they? I mean, injectable filler, tear trough filler is the standard thing for that, which is quite hard to do well. They're where people inject is along the orbital rim. So it's not actually right up under the eyes, but that just smooths out right. the junction between the cheek and the depression under the eye. Um, because skincare, you know, it's great to have good skincare to keep that skin strong, but you know, our eye sockets are getting bigger as we get older because of general bone resorption in the face, you know, in the way that we lose fat volume from <laughs> yeah yeah we're losing bone from you know the angle yeah. of the, jaw. the skull is shrinking those sockets again getting... the neck is the, the the chin under the chin is the other thing that what's that called people get Jowls. that don't they? the jowl yeah, yeah that's neck. difficult is that's an intervention of some sort isn't it yeah you love a cream on that trish <laughs> it won't really help what will help would be 
the newest treatment for that, the trendy one at the moment, is radiofrequency microneedling, which is a device that stabs a mass of microneedles, not comfortable, but you have a lot of numbing cream into the skin and then passes in a radiofrequency zap of energy, which creates heat in the skin through those needles. So it delivers it really deep and does that all over, all over, stab, stab, stab. And that is combining two really effective technologies for prompting that collagen growth within the skin and it's supercharging you know, the, the tightening and you get a, a smoothing effect as well right. for acne scarring and things and that's probably your best bet short of a surgical lower neck lift because it's that like with the eyes you know people say oh, what am I going to do with all this under my chin some people might put a little bit of filler along the line of the jaw and you might think if you've got too much going on below the chin why on earth would you want that but it creates a bit of definition and that hides what's underneath or injectable toxin if you've got a really tight mm-hmm. stringy platysmal bands under here I'm stroking down the bits if you make a grimace and you get the tight bits band, stringy bands in your neck if you soften those with toxin because these mm-hmm. creep up and they attach into the face muscles so you soften those off a bit your jaw kind of goes more defined. So you, you need a really good practitioner to assess because it's one of those difficult things. You know, people come through saying, what's the best treatment for a 50-year-old face? Think, I don't know. I don't know your 50-year-old face. I don't know your lifestyle, your history, your budget, your aspirations. You know, get in front of a really good practitioner and say, look, this is the thing that bothers me. What can you suggest? And go from there. How do you find a good practitioner? Well, I mean, I know that's the million dollar question I guess you've got to know it's word of mouth as well as you know checking they're registered with the relevant authorities exactly word of mouth is good I mean I have a list on my website of people who I would absolutely trust with my own face they're all people I've known over the years I know their work and or they've been recommended to me by people who strongly back them you can look on my website at there's a bit called staying safe which this all the kind of associations that you want to see if people are accredited to you know because the terrible lack of regulation in this whole area it's impossible to say they should be this who does that and has these letters under after their name because it just doesn't work like that but if they are, for example, a member of any professional organisation like the Nursing and Midwifery Council, then they're accountable to that. If they're a nurse, if they're a doctor, they should be registered with the GMC. And if they're a surgeon, again, they should be registered. They should be on the specialist register for that. It gets very detailed very quickly, but you want to check out that they are who they say they are. You want to see reviews for their work. You want to look at a lot of examples of their before and afters because some people will create the sort of look that you might not like in your face. It might be too young or too done or whatever. You know, everybody has their kind of tribe. So it's really hard to advise. But, you know, the people I have on my website are ones I would trust. And anybody who belongs to BCAM, the British College of Aesthetic Medicine, they're an elite doctor's organisation, or, you know, BARPS, the British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. Right. And then some people say, but you've got dentists on your website. How is that? And you think, well, anybody can train to do aesthetic injections. You know, you and I can all go and buy ourselves needles and fill her off the internet and inject anybody we like. But dentists are medical professionals. They 
have uh, you know a lot of training in anatomy and stuff it's really more a question of whether they are skilled at the procedures they've chosen to do I mean a lot of people will say well they've got to be a medical professional I think well that's the least of it my GP is a medical professional I don't want her stuffing stuff in my face nor an orthopedic surgeon but if they have taken endless courses in non-surgical techniques, if they have had years of experience at it, if they know how to manage complications, all of these things are really important because the practitioners at the cheaper end of it won't be able to do all that. If they get a complication, if they inject filler into a blood vessel or whatever, they'll they'll just fob people off, send them to A&E. A&E doesn't know what to do with aesthetic complications. You know, it's not their thing. And they've got more than enough going on at the moment anyway. And so you really need to know to ask your practitioner, how often does this thing I'm contemplating go wrong? How often has it gone wrong for you? If it goes wrong, what can you do about it? You know, all of these things, which maybe you feel uncomfortable asking, but it's absolutely vital that you do, that you read the small print on the consent form as well. I mean, it's all been in the news in the past week or so since Linda Evangelista put yeah. up saying she had cool mm. sculpting go wrong. That is a known side effect of cool sculpting. It doesn't happen very often, but it happens a lot more often than the official statistics given out 10 years ago or whatever are thought to do. But if people haven't read that small print, haven't had it explained, and then they're the one in 2000 person that it does happen to you know it's pretty hideous there's an emotional psychological knock-on as well as the physical knock-on effect to it and financial as well because if the remedy for what happened with Linda Evangelista where the treated area of fat instead of dispersing and shrinking enlarged and became hardened the remedy for that is liposuction which is a surgical procedure it's difficult isn't it because it's it's not a regulated industry so as you say it's really important that you find an experienced credited practitioner <laughs> and you have all of that information on the treatments website which is fantastic now you also look at gadgets at home gadgets because that's there's been a huge explosion in devices that you can do treatments on yourself at home isn't there what do you have any favorites fish loves a gadget everything oh hair removal brilliant yeah intense pulse like hair removal yeah it's really uh, i found that really good yeah great clear mm-hmm. armpits in a matter of weeks you know completely got rid of her moustache yes (laughs) and my beard yeah that's gone as well I love the new face, which is a microcurrent device. You know, it's not going to get rid of your jowls. It's not going to give you a facelift, but it just tones and contours the face a little bit. And if you do it regularly, what I like is that using it on the brow, if, if I'm having a sort of tired morning, mm-hmm. my eyebrows pressing down heavily on my eyelids, it just will lift them a fraction, makes you feel a bit better about things. Oh, my latest one is the Dr. Harris mask. Have you seen these? If not, I'll uh, get- no. it, it, it's, it's like an eye mask, but it's got little silicon bubbles on the back of it. And these press on pressure sensitive receptors in your face, which create a relaxing effect. So you get a softening of the frown and this amazing emotional relaxation effect, which is something that's been clinically proven. I, I should also add, I, I wrote about this in the mail. I've known about it for a while and, and I'm being announced as the ambassador for it very uh, shortly. Okay. And the really interesting thing with this is although Technically, it's there as a completely non-surgical frown relaxer. What 
everybody who's tried it and what I find it most useful for is getting back to sleep in the middle of the night because you know that's the other oh, bit oh, like nice. yes so I keep it under my pillow until three or four a.m and then put it on and you lie there thinking nothing's happening nothing's happening and then wow it usually works so it's a really useful trick to have up your sleeve and before mm-hmm. you go so you've got three daughters two daughters and a son how old are your children my children are 26 24 and my son is 22 no. So you you kind of started all of this kind of exploration and investigative journalists as they were going through their teenage years. Um, I mean, if I change the colour of my eyebrows, they've got quite a lot to say about it, my daughters. It's, <laughs> it's almost like they can make those comments on it. And then I'm quite worried thinking, oh, my God, am I giving them the message that I don't like my eyebrows and that's a bad thing? All of this, you know, going through our heads. What did your teens say as you were going through it? Because they, they do like to comment on what mum is doing. And, and how do you feel about what they think about it, I guess, as the next generation. They didn't comment on it very much because none of these things are hugely obvious or different in themselves. I mean, you know, I've been writing about cosmetics for a long time and I've been trying to emphasise the fact that it's how you are rather than how you look that matters. But then I wrote a book with each of my girls about early teen looks and makeup. They were 12, 14-ish. <laughs> there was one morning my daughter was 13. She was wearing an awful lot of eye makeup going off to school because her school allowed it. And so I say, that's a lot of makeup for a Monday morning <laughs> or something, trying to be a bit neutral about it. And she says, oh, yeah, mum, it's that smoky eyes bit we were working on. I thought I'd try it out. Oh, God, I asked for that, didn't I? Or, you know, they'll rush into the studies saying, mum, I know it's... <laughs> how you are that matters not how you look but I really really need that eyelash curler can I have it right now (laughs) (laughs) of course but now now they're grown up I do try and talk to them and say look what on earth do you think about the fact that I do this they're very grown up much more grown up than me and very sensible and they say but this is what you do for your work and I say yeah but the fact is also that I do this because I think these things make me look better I worry about the vanity aspect I worry about the message I'm passing on and they say I wouldn't stress about it so much mum you know some of our friends do this we're not remotely interested I think okay that's really interesting because I would find it very difficult if they were saying oh I want my lips done too yeah I get plenty of people saying what am I going to do my daughter's going to uni I can't stop her having a lips done can I suggest somebody for them to go and see in London who is good but moderate who will do a subtle adjustment Mm -hmm. rather than letting Mm -hmm. her go off to the uni town find some local beautician who oughtn't to be doing it anyway and just end up with these kind of sausage lips it's really tricky just trying to talk about what's appropriate what actually looks nice Mm -hmm. rather than what the Love Island look is and why everybody feels they have to adhere to that. Yeah, I guess it's individual, isn't it, as well? Well, thank you so much for coming and talking about it. It's just been really useful, I think, and really entertaining and also just giving that sense check on everything because what you do it from a beauty journalist, investigative journalist point of view. So it's interesting that we can get all that information from you because it is a little bit Wild West out there still. So I think, you know, thank Thanks for giving us all of that. That was fantastic. It'd be very useful. We will direct everyone to your website for more information. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So, Lorraine, a lot to 
to digest there from Alice. She shared so much information and a lot of her expertise in cosmetic interventions, which obviously she's been investigating, researching, trying out for the last 20 years. Um, what stuck with you? What what kind of did it make you think about the whole protest? Because we've both had a little bit of Botox, yeah. haven't we? But what, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I think just to frame it in the fact that we asked Alice to come on as a journalist who's been studying this so that she could give you all the information that we're not saying you need, people need to have mm. cosmetic intervention to look younger, better or whatever in, in midlife. I think what stuck for me was the idea that you really need to ask when you go mm. in what could possibly go wrong. I think that's, and you know, it's a big decision. You know, this is a, a wild west still to some, some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a law out now that's only come out this month that anyone under 18, it's against the law to inject toxins um, and fillers for under 18 mm-hmm. year olds. So it's beginning to be regulated, you know, but some, some people think, you know, how you have your hair colored. So why wouldn't you have mm. Botox injections? So it's just us unpicking that. But I think, it's clever to ask what what can possibly go wrong right at the beginning because yes, I know yeah. a lot of people where things have gone wrong and they haven't asked that question. Yeah, and, and I think it's should be. It? Yeah, the practitioners will be completely straightforward with you and honest with you about it. Um, but yes, you're right; it's an investment, and I think you need to sort of take the view of: is this something I want to in- invest in? Is it going to make me feel? better, look better, feel different about myself. And, you know, I took the view that actually having a sprinkle of Botox twice a year does make me look better and feel better about myself. And I think the one that um, I would return to as well, because I've also had the laser treatment for pigmentation. Mm. And that was great because I've really, as you know, and listeners will know, I've had a lot of hangups and been quite self-conscious about that. And I found that to be very effective. It just removed this big splodgy kind of sun marks on the side of my face so that again if that came back I think I would want to follow up with that as well any treatments that you think you might have yes well I did a piece on Botox and had it for my number 11 frown lines for uh, I wrote about it Um, and that did make me feel better not looking so tired and people not saying why are you so cross to me Mm -hmm. you know I found that helpful I have had a, a pigmentation I think the laser thing done before after Mm -hmm. an injury that I had on my skin from teenage years, which had caused quite significant pigmentation. But, you know, I could have covered that up with makeup. So I can't, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm not a big fan of needles. I can't imagine being wanting to look 50 when I'm 70. So, (laughs) you know, it's just how you frame it. I think it's really important not to judge women around their choices on this as well. You know, it's up to everyone what they do and how they want Mm -hmm. to do it. And it's up to all of us what we're prepared to do. And I kind of, I'm always conscious of talking about it in front of my daughters. I think Alice made some good points about that. But, you know, we're women too. We've got to be able to question things out loud. No one's going to make us look like our 18-year-old selves but we do feel like our 18 year old selves inside don't we Trish yes, and, that we is, and sometimes we behave like that too don't we, we do we there's do. no cosmetic remedy for that kind of nitwitchery. no no martinis and cod pasts is all I have to say on that yes here we are gird your loins nostalgia <laughs> noodle where have you been Trish back in time into your messy oh. messy messy Oh, I've been thinking about being naughty 
because I wasn't very good at being naughty as a child. And I kind of did the odd thing and then would be absolutely traumatised about it for, for weeks, but then be quite thrilled. Do you remember Knock Down Ginger? Or people used to call it Knock Knock Ginger, which Some is basically, yeah, you run up and down the road and knock on people's door and, doors and run away and then laugh when they come to open the door. Do you remember that? <laughs> Hilarious. Kids Hilarious. don't do that anymore, do they? <laughs> no, not one. They'd be knocking on door, abducted, no. child no. trafficked across Europe. Exactly. So, no, so, but we used to, we lived in a little cul-de-sac and it felt like we used to sort of maraud around in this gang of seven and eight-year-olds up and down the cul-de-sac and are doing this this game but the worst one the worst naughtiness was do you remember those little freddo frog chocolate yes six, six pence very small yes i stole one egged on by my friend stole Where one from? bunce's news agents in sudbury hill so apologies is, that, is this as news naughty agents. as you centrish it is and i i would i still have flashbacks <laughs> now well, i think listen. maybe You've probably been a bit naughtier than that in yes. your childhood. I don't think I can tell those stories, though, because the chasm between them would be quite... <laughs> quite but I think there is a very dark side oh. to your good self, which oh. we don't get to... Uh, no. I mean, I don't think you were in a gang or anything like that. So <laughs> a gang of seven-year-olds. That gang was of seven-year-olds. But gang I feel like, like there got... is a dark place we've yet yes, to explore, and we might so. have to do that via a pseudonym on a different kind of podcast. Yes, you possibly. could hypnotise me, maybe. I've that gone back work. somewhere Where have nice, you been? Trish. Where? Oh, nice. lovely. Where have you been? So I was putting on some lipstick the other day, mm. um, some red lipstick for to do a god awful zoomy type thing again and it always perks me up so i put on my red lipstick and i dab my uh mouth as i've been taught by all the oh, beauty yes. editors i've worked with piece of tissue and it brought back a really strong i think it was the smell of the lipstick uh memory of my grandmother grandma oh. annie oh who used to wear red lipstick all the time she used to wear that yardly red lipstick oh. do you remember they had just really lovely gold cases that clicked as oh, you yes. took the lids off Ooh, and they the had clicking. such a distinct smell mm. yeah when i think makeup for yardley was finished in the, in the late 90s but it was just made me think and she would blot her lipstick on a perfumed small perfumed handkerchief so there were all these sort of and I really remember it and I'm 53 and I get my lipstick out and I'm still remembering Mm. my grandma who died when I was in my mid-20s I think so I was 23 or 24 when she died and I was just wondering what would our daughters what would be the kind of trigger for our daughters around makeup because my mum wasn't into makeup or any anything Mm. like that she considered it completely frivolous and ridiculous so um, so that's where I got that feeling from, from my dad's mum. Um, yes. She was from Hounslow in London. So I'm just trying to think what my girls mm. will remember. I feel like it might be eyebrows of some sort. Some oh, definitely eyebrows. Eyebrow very brush. strong. Um, those funny sheep face masks. That's always quite fun. I do yes. those with Esme and we sit there looking like ghouls in front of the telly. That's what it is. It's the masks they'll remember. Yeah. The new masks. Can I just yeah. give you an insight into how my mind works? Because when you were telling that lovely story, all I could think about was how did your granny get the red lipstick blotting out of the white handkerchiefs? How did she do it? On a boil wash? She... <laughs> They would have had a special chemical. She would have oh, soaked it, wouldn't she? She overnight would have done, starched it, soaked it, perfumed it. So careful. Oh, Trish, I'm worried about you, how your brain works <laughs> now. brain works. It's awful, it's isn't it? Me. I, I want know. to come and take a picture of you as yes. you're drunk, like, like <laughs> I did in your 20s. <laughs> 
brings us to the end of this week's episode of Postcards from Midlife. New episodes are available to listen to every Sunday on your podcast provider, and we would really appreciate it if you can make sure to download your episodes so they can count on our listener numbers. And if you could rate and review us too, that would be marvellous. And please tell your friends about us because we want as many women as possible to join in this midlife conversation, which is what our private Facebook group is all about. So if you're not a member yet, do come on over and join in the chat. So you can use it to post any feedback on the topics we discuss, as well as suggestions for other things you'd like to hear talked about on the show or celebrities and experts you'd love to hear us interview. Or you can email us directly at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or you can pop a message on our Instagram account. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.